Okay, hello, and welcome to Innovations in Education, Higher Ed Edition. My name is Kevin Hogan. I'm ed editor-at-large at East School News. I'm glad you found us. Uh, and welcome to the inaugural podcast um, for Innovations Education, specifically for, for eCampus News. Uh, excited to start uh, this particular journey. Have been working for a while with eSchool uh, on the K-12 sector. Uh, obviously, lots of uh, really interesting and important things happening in the higher ed space. Uh, and I'm just really happy and excited to be able to cover it in this uh, in these crazy times. Uh, as a journalist, it's a lot of interesting stories. So um, let's just get started this week and look at some of the top things that are happening and posted to eSchool News. Um, I guess in terms of the back to school and back to campus, obviously, the pandemic still takes top billing uh, when it comes to how colleges and universities are continue to adjust uh, in this crazy time. There's something that has continued to fester, um, even it was there before the pandemic, but continues and has been even worse. And that is the threat of cybersecurity. In fact, in some ways, the pandemic has made the situation, which was already bad, uh, even, even worse. Uh, the Israeli-American cybersecurity group Checkpoint Software tracked a massive increase in the targeting of uh, the education space worldwide. 29% rise in uh, attacks uh, from the first half of the year with a, an average of more than 1,700 attacks per week. So that's something that is, you know, it's a, it's a constant war. It's a constant battle. Uh, and in uh, the following of that news, I had the opportunity to talk with Mark Dean, Senior Systems Administrator, Morehouse School of Medicine. Uh, and he talks about all the various strategies that they've had to use recently to kind of continue this ongoing battle. Uh, took a little piece of the snippet here. Uh, have a listen. Click on it and it opens a PDF and it says, oh, you need to open, you need to put a password in there or anything like that. Um, that's why it's, it's that's, why we, that's why I don't have a lot of uh, confidence that this is something that can be solved uh, because in, in this case, it's the users who are giving them what they want. They, they replicate a password field, make it look like they're logging into something, they make it look like our webpage or whatever. Um, so you really can't blame them even though we tell them well, don't click on links in an email, um, it's, it's just too much, I think, for users to really uh, get a handle on. Um, and it's really hard from security side to manage, manage that because, you know, links, how do you know a link is good or bad? The, the, the ransomware people use Amazon services, just like we use Amazon services. So it's really hard to get that. The other thing, though, is some stuff comes in from unpatched systems. So when I hear of a company that, got hit with ransomware and it was an unpatched system. I don't, my, my sympathy gets lower from that because there's really no excuse for that. You know, yeah. especially if, if you're Windows, they don't even charge for updates. So there's no reason why an assistant administrator would ever be behind in patching. I mean, I know we're all busy, but yeah, that's an, that's an easy win because most ransomware is two, two things actually. It's clicking on something and then it's exploiting some problem with the PC, some unpatched thing. And then they do things like pivoting where they'll gain administrator access. And then they'll, now they got that for this one user, now they go look at the network. Using the same tools we use to manage a network, they're gonna enumerate the network. They're gonna say, well, if this password worked here, it better work here. And then they look for your servers and they look for your backups and then you have a rough, rough week. 
Yeah. Is there anything about um, the fact that Morehouse is a medical school or it's just when you're talking about um, that sort of work that they're doing that makes the data uh, that much more, um, I don't know, less secure or, or, or more important to protect when it comes to, you know, medical images or private health information out of, um, you know, patients possibly that are working in, in the school. Talk a little bit about if there are any extra layers of concern on your part from a, from a network perspective, because we're talking about a, a medical institution. There, there is only because we have uh, clinics. So we have healthcare data. So we, we have actual patients out in the, uh, in the remote clinics. And that kind of data is, is, is a prime target because it's, it's got a lot of information that can be used to um, steal identities. So my mm. understanding is ransomware people go after that kind of data. Um, now I heard, I read somewhere that they're they're not gonna um, hit healthcare places, but I don't know if you can trust people who um, do this kind of thing. Um, someone's gonna do it. Yeah. And we get we get we get not just spam, we get phishing emails every day. There's not a day that goes by that some phishing email doesn't come to somebody. So it's, we're, we're constantly being hit. I mean, they may, many, they may not even know who we are. These are right. other countries and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's just kind of a random, random attacks, right? Yeah. News this week out of Wiley Education Services, which is a division of Wiley, uh, they released their inaugural Powering Education Partner Transparency and Outcomes Report. Um, this is in order to provide new insights to what they say are the career connected education services that they provide to university partners. The report examines affordability, partnership models, customer satisfaction, and student outcomes. Um, reports uh, reflect positively uh, on Wiley's results uh, compared to other online providers. Uh, the report also uh, looks at their connections with over seven universities worldwide uh, where they deliver these sort of services. Uh, we had the opportunity to talk to Todd Zipper, uh, president of Wiley Education, uh, to go a little deeper inside, have a listen. Todd, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. You too. Thanks for being here, Kevin. Uh, well, let's just get right into it. Uh, tell us the purpose behind the report. Um, you know, it's not exactly a time to be, uh, during a pandemic, to be putting these sort of things together. Uh, so it must have been difficult. But uh, so give us some of the, the findings and, and why you thought there was a reason for this sort of data. Yeah, well, you know, online education is really no longer a nascent service. And I think the pandemic showed that as we saw so many schools and learners, um, you're getting the primary their education online. And so like others in the industry, we became and we went really welcome the discussion and, and to try to create more transparency around what it is that university services is in terms of partnering with with um, with with universities, companies like ours. And so we hoped to shed light on how we support our partners to show where they're empowered. And, and from the report, we really discovered um, that you know, we wanted to expose what the partnership models were, the customer satisfaction rates, um, tuition levels, graduation and retention rates. So those are the initial areas in this inaugural report that we have seen. You know, and we service roughly 70 uh, or so more universities. We have over 800 degree programs. We have over 200 plus uh, micro-credential programs. And really what it showed us was really four uh, major findings um, that our programs 
were more affordable um, than comparable online programs without sacrificing quality, which as we know, um, we're, the schools are in the driver's seat. These are their programs, these are their faculty, these are their admission standards, ultimately. And so that was a really important finding. Um, our student outcomes um, are really strong, and, and we can go into that. That's really the retention and the graduation rates that we've seen. Um, the third thing that we saw was the learner and faculty satisfaction, whether it's the learner satisfaction with the program and, and how they interact with the services that we offer, um, and the faculty satisfaction with how they work with our academic services team and student support services team were really, um, you know, from a net promoter score standpoint, really stellar. And finally, that our programs, we believe, is showing um, a really important uh, accessibility angle of, of what they do. So those are kind of the findings that we saw from the report. Any surprises? Uh, not really. You know, I, I think for us, uh, we, we believe we have nothing to hide here. We want to expose as much as we can. And as I mentioned, this is the inaugural report. We're hoping to show things around employability, um, which is, which is uh, you know, hard to show. But in partnership with our schools, we're going to spend the next year trying to figure that out so we can show some of those rates, because that's obviously why learners uh, re really look at the report. Um, but, you know, but for us, you know, we think that we, we offer a lot of value to our partners. Um, many of our partners are capital constrained. You know, as you know, we're in this great resignation now. And so to get the talent they need to keep up with the innovations is hard. And a company like Wiley really brings that, that sort of capital and that expertise to bear. And I think that's what the report shows. And you mentioned that this is the inaugural report. What are your intentions there? I mean, how often a year is this going to be an annual thing going forward and uh, to kind of track this data? Yeah, I think it's going to be annual in nature, right? Because we want to see cycles of, you know, en enrollment sort of comes in, call it three stages throughout the year. You've got the fall, which we're in right now. You've got the spring, which is really the winter to a degree. And then you've got the summer. And I think it's really good to see that data sort of play out over, over a year and see how we ultimately go. So yeah, we're going to do this annually. We're now in a conversation with the market. We're exposing our, uh, a lot of, you know, what we're doing here. Uh, and and then we hope to keep improving on that and and working with uh, you know the market whether it's it's regulators that that have interest here whether it's pundits um, observers that have opinions about it uh, we think we're gonna you know improve a lot on what we're doing. Great. Well, uh, congratulations on the release. I know it, it takes a lot of hard work to do that, and uh, good luck with the reports as it goes forward. Todd, thanks for your time. All right, you too, Kevin. Thanks so much. Okay, and finally today, uh, we have one other uh, recent report that I found to be particularly interesting up on the eSchool news site, um, eCampus news site, uh, and that has, uh, that report came from EduCause, uh, EduCause, whose event next month, uh, hopefully, as it seems right now, is going to be in person in Philadelphia, uh, which I'm very excited to attend, and that the team of uh, eCampus will be there, uh, but they released a 2020 research uh, involving student experience with information technology. It included over 16,000 undergraduate students from 71 different institutions. Uh, and in, in addition to exploring key aspects of what they call the whole student experience, uh, the authors off, also offer recommendations for, for leaders and how to enhance those student experiences. Uh, they, they, they broke it down into five dimensions, uh, student success, 
technology use and environmental preferences, student data privacy, which we just talked about, online harassment, accessibility and accommodations. So some really interesting insights in there. Uh, the piece was written by our editorial director here, Laura Asion. Uh, I would encourage you to check it out on ecampusnews.com along with all the other recent reports, research and analysis uh, that we put up on a daily basis. So thanks again for listening. I uh, hope you find another episode soon. Once again, I'm Kevin Hogan. Uh, thanks for listening.